the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 319. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Nate Dunn. Welcome along, Nate. How are you? Very good. Very good. Just getting back into it. I've been away since last year, which... You've yeah. been travelling around the... Uh, well, right around the globe pretty much, haven't you? Well, I went as far... You can't really get any further away. So, yeah, went into... Did England. My wife and I did England. We did Scotland. We did Northern Ireland and Ireland. I learned that you can't group them together as Ireland. They are two very separate countries. Uh, and then we did Wales. So, yeah, about five weeks of travelling in the cold. So just getting climatised back. It is very hot here. When you've been walking around like two or three degrees and you're wrapped up warm, it is bizarre to, to fly and then be sweating in shorts and a T-shirt. But, no, it's good to be home. Good, good. Um, no doubt you took some tech, tech with you. Might ask you a little bit about uh, about your experiences with roaming and uh, and how all that no went, worries. Uh, uh, a bit later. Now, there's always you know a, a bit of a mix of, of things happening in this old uh, tech world of ours, but I saw a headline. Uh, this was uh, being rep- it was being reported that China just made VPNs illegal. Now, what's a VPN for those of us who aren't? That's a good first question. So, VPN, a virtual private network. And in China, the reason why these are very popular, and I mean, they're also popular, um, they've got a few reasons why they're popular. So, uh, for instance, in, let's say, here in New Zealand, if you want to work from home and your business has a, um, a network that you want to link into, it's you know it's been reasonably common certainly in years gone by less so these days because of uh, the cloud and, and other things but uh, still reasonably common to use a virtual private network to basically link yourself in as though you're sitting in your office and so your your uh, equivalent of being at that location may maybe a bit a bit slower depending on your internet connection uh, we've also used VPNs so it appears as though we might be in another country to access say video content that's available. To people in the US, you might fire up a, a virtual private network connection that uh, makes it look as though you are in the US when you're actually in New Zealand. Now, it's this last bit which is why VPNs or virtual private networks have been a very popular thing in China. And so I recall uh, when, in fact, um, my brother was in, in China recently and uh, he asked me about uh, uh, that exact, uh, exact thing. Now, I can't, I can't, I'm trying to recall whether I used a VPN when I was in China. It's, uh, it's a little bit hazy now because it was, uh, was a little while ago. Um, but the, re- the thing in China is they have something called the Great Firewall of China. Uh, and basically the government pick and choose what you can access uh, on the internet when you're in China. So you don't just have access to the, the same stuff as those in uh, most other parts of the world. So things like Twitter get blocked, uh, Google gets blocked, and and really a, a, a pretty large chunk of, of content that maybe doesn't line up with um, uh, what the Chinese government would have you reading and consuming, and they don't want you distributing through varying channels. Did that make sense? Yes, good, good. So this thing of China making VPNs illegal... I guess I already felt that there was there were probably some uh, some rules in place around it for the exact reason that people would be able to access stuff that they're not allowed to if, if VPNs were uh, were legal. So, but apparently, um, just just starting in the last uh, last few days, uh, last you know week or so. Um, they have made it um, potentially a crime, depending on the the scenarios, and uh, apparently the use of um, of VPNs uh, now must be approved by the government. Now, for some, you know, people doing business in China, for instance, a VPN is going to be going to be essential for you to actually link in and connect and do what you need to do. So um, that's a consideration. But also we've heard that, um, and I've, you know, I've come across and heard circumstances of this, where the Great Fall of Firewall of China was actually uh, blocking those type of you know, VPN, certain types of VPN connections as well. So you would try and use a VPN, and actually they already wised up to that particular provider and, uh, and blocked it. But 
the thought of maybe getting uh, thrown in jail for using a, a VPN is certainly, uh, um, you know, turning up turning up the heat a little bit. It's going to be a bit of a nightmare if you aren't using a VPN to say, let's say they're, they're blocking Twitter for for an example, and you're not using a VPN specifically to get around Twitter, but you're going into a business meeting and you need to be able to connect to the office server or or whatever it is back back at home, and you're connecting to it purely to get files off so you can do a meeting I, yeah it's I, I sort of can understand why they'd want to block it but I, the I don't think they're doing a wholesale blocking of the typical just ports that are used for a VPN yeah but they would be blocking uh, certain certain providers of services who are offering a commercial VPN type service that would, would maybe be more common for a consumer to use rather than what somebody you know somebody wouldn't likely be using that particular service maybe to get into their office but i'm sure there's exceptions yeah and there there will be situations where this makes it uh, difficult to do business in china i do know uh, closer to home that the uh, and i'm not sure if it's the current currently the the space because i haven't done it for probably 6 months but i remember the vtnz both the mount eden one and the one downtown here in auckland uh, would block vpn on their free wireless that they offer cuz i'd often go down there with my laptop thinking I'll get the car to get a warrant and then I can sit there and do some work do and some then work. it just doesn't connect and I think I even tweeted them but got no reply and I always thought that was a little bit strange to because surely if I'm sitting there uh, with time to spare there should be a lot of business people I would have thought that would be using VPN but yeah I suppose it does go back to your, your initial comment about the cloud services becoming more popular so that you don't actually need the VPN because you can, you know, Office 365, you can just log in directly over a public network. It's over um, HTTPS, so it, it sort of uses the, or it uses the same encryption as your bank does, so it's nice and secure. So you don't need that VPN, so there's no reason for them to... Standard sort of protocol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as you mentioned, maybe before, actually before we started, um, there we also have um, what are called SSL uh, VPNs these days that will uh, will often also use the those standard mm. uh, protocols or ports that are that are used for uh, yeah just to get on the web and to access internet banking and so on. So yeah, um, now something very exciting locally, something we've been we've been waiting some time for is. More detail on the extension of the ultra-fast broadband network here in New Zealand. Now, of course, we've uh, you know we're a reasonable uh, chunk, uh, pretty good chunk through the rollout of ultra-fast broadband here uh, around the country, and the government initially committed funds uh, to reach seventy-five percent of the population with fibre. Based uh, broad or fibre broadband services, which is uh, pretty cool if you're in one of the uh, the the biggest metropolitan areas and you weren't too far out on the fringe, because there's a pretty good chance that you were going to be uh, going to be getting it uh, sometime between you know when when the announcements were uh, were were made uh, and the project sort of started 2010 type time frame uh, through to end of 2019. So we've been, you know, we've been watching that, and um, you know, I guess some people have been complaining a bit because they're at the end of the queue, and it's caused a few people some uh, uh, some inconvenience. But you know, we're we're now, I guess, starting to not get you know so far away uh, from the delivery of that um, that initial reach to seventy five percent of the the population. Uh, we're certainly, um, you know, I think way past halfway now. Um, but then there was the announcement made that the government were going to drop in a bunch more funding and try and reach an additional 5% of the population, so take it from 75% to uh, 80% of the population, which seemed uh, seemed to make some sense. And, and when I thought about it, I thought, well, I guess the further you go with fibre, the more expensive it actually gets to build that because you're starting to go into rural areas, you don't have a situation where you've got all these properties that are super uh, close to each other. Um, Plus you don't have that, you know, let's say you're looking at one of, uh, let's say an apartment block where there's 200 people, it's very easy to spread the cost of pushing that fibre into that building because you've got 200 people that you can bring on, whereas 
when you get out to say farming where there's two or three k between each of them that's a long run for fiber and there's you just don't have the population base to spread that investment out over that's right so i was kind of curious as i wonder how far fiber will go you know they've said 80 percent. i wonder will they do another you know will they do another trance and maybe trying to get to 85 or something like that and of course they're at the same time they're investing into the rural broadband initiative to get uh, you know get faster internet coverage to uh, I think in total ninety nine percent of the population uh, they're aiming to to hit with either uh, the ultra fast broadband the fiber or through other me- mechanisms uh, such as uh, the wireless wireless broadband you know the, like you get on your cell phone basically mm. um, and so yeah I was sort of curious and thought oh, I wonder if we'll have another announcement you know some you know five ten years down the track they're going to you know bump it out to another lot uh so i was looking through all the material and what i saw was a reference to actually that they're able uh with this lot of funding to hit about 85 percent of the population um so basically double what was uh what we were expecting the increase to be instead of going from 75 to 80 going to uh to 85 Mm. So I thought that's um, that's quite cool. Uh, now, if anyone that's it's interested in seeing some of the details, there's lots of details online. Uh, Crown Fiber Holdings uh, site has um, has links to most of it. Uh, I will have up on the little um, the little UFB uh, blog site at ufb.org.nz um, some of that detail and uh, links to to maps and so on as well if you're interested. But in terms of a couple of uh, a couple of highlights, um, there is a really good um, document that details the areas that are being hit, and it breaks it down to who's providing it. Is it chorus? Um, is it uh, ultra fast fiber, etc., and it breaks it down to all the different uh, all the different providers that are uh, that are involved. Chorus has got the lion's uh, the lion's share of the work, um, but for instance, in Northland, where previously uh, Whangarei was the only area that was covered, um, there is you know a whole bunch more you know little um you know there's russell in there pai here carry carry uh kaitaia kaikohi um and uh and and a couple of others there um so you know really going out to some areas with some quite um quite small uh populations in some some cases uh kaipra there's uh um uh, Ruawai, uh, Paparoa. I mean, these are these are places with pretty small, uh, pretty small populations. And when I look down the list, the sort of populations, some of them here listing, you know, three hundred people uh, being hit in one place. Um, also, and this will be of interest, I, I know, to a bunch of listeners who uh, may be on the outskirts of a major city and they're beyond the line where ultra-fast broadband is going at the moment. Um, there's quite a lot of extension going on there as well. Uh, so I think people will be pretty interested in that, whether, whether you're in Auckland or Christchurch. Um, I've got a friend who bought a property in Invercargill before, uh, I think probably before the ultra-fast broadband uh, was announced, and his particular area was was off the map, and so Does you know, no chance of uh, of of getting anything uh, super fast. Um, but when I when I had a look, uh, actually, he's getting um, they're getting uh, ultra fast broadband, and they're right, I think, at the um, uh, at the front of the list. So uh, his place. Uh, Invercargo is listed as Invercargill Fringe Dash Otatara, uh, and yeah, he's got uh, he's got a place there in Otatara, and that is due to be completed in uh, in 2019, which is quite interesting because that's still within the the current the initial sort of UFB one timetable. Um, most of these, I think, looking out at the dates, they're basically all going to be done between 2019. Um, in fact, there's there's some Christchurch fringe stuff there that's down for uh, uh, next year, 2018, and also some stuff uh, west coast of uh, of the South Island that's uh, 2018. So there's a few bits and pieces around the country that are um, that are earlier, uh, but most of it between 2019 and uh, 2024. Mm. 
Oh, so there's a sort of over 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 five year period. I'm pleased that as of Friday, I was I became part of the 75 percent, I suppose, with uh, getting UFB at home. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't my own uh, reasoning that we got it so late. It was because we're part of a multi tenanted dwelling. So there's we're part of a big block of flats, and Chorus has that policy that if if one person wants fibre, you all have to want fibre and. Not a not a chorus thing. That's that was a um, that was just the 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 law. At oh, sorry, the time. sorry. Um, um, but of course, those, those rules the government has got in and and been changing that stuff. So uh, you know, one person won't be able to hold hold that up unnecessarily as they could in the in the past. So. Yeah. So the, the the main reason we took so long because I applied for it back in February last year when the road first got done was because our landlords are hopeless at organising anything, and so fibre was was. Uh, the a sort of afterthought but thinking uh, the other flip side is that my parents are, are landlords and, and one of their properties there uh, down a long long driveway and the, the tenant uh, the, sorry the owner at the very back wants to put in fibre and my parents are in the middle so they've got to dig up the driveway so all three need to to sign it off and my folks are like well our tenants don't want fibre so and we don't want you to dig up the driveway because we're worried you're not going to fix it and so I think there's it's, it's not as it's a right to have the fiber running past, but it's that like last mile of actually getting. And I, I think they haven't really sold it. That like fiber is really amazing, and you should the risk of that happening. Um, well, you don't want, you don't want to have a property that doesn't have fiber because in the future you won't be able to get any tenants. Exactly, and so th- they should be selling it, and so that landlords you know are falling over themselves to do it. Uh, and aren't like my folks who are like, well, we don't really want you to dig up the driveway, so we're not going to approve it, and then. Yeah, so it'd be very frustrating to be those people at the back. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm just look, looking down this uh, list again, and there's uh, there's a couple of areas here, um, and this would be uh, this would be pretty handy. Rangi or uh, Rangi or of uh, fringe, uh, fifty five people are catered to by uh, by by that. So they're going into some you know some small little uh, uh, you know pockets where they're uh, they're filling out the coverage. So. Uh, it's pretty good, and there's um, there's one there on the list: Upper Hut, Fringe, Ward Street. Two people uh, that are that are covered, so they're really uh, they're really trying to fill <laughs> in a lot of gaps. I'm sure there will be people uh, around the country that will be disappointed that that they've you know missed out that they're a bit far out or um, you know they're a bit a bit uh, rural because uh, you know it's uh, it's pretty expensive to implement. Uh, you know, really too too rural, but it'll be interesting to uh, to actually drill into a little bit more detail around this stuff. But certainly, there's there's some good information that's been uh, been shared so far, and I think there will be. Um, I mean, looking at this list, there are many uh, many people that will be very very uh, pleased that they're going to be uh, covered. So you know, we're talking. Um, yeah, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that are going to be impacted uh, by this. That uh, extra 10 percent, I guess, Good of stuff. The, the population. So there you go. Um, yeah, as for where I've just uh, just moved to, um, actually, I've got a, a little bit of a story to to share about that. Um, we were alerted by the uh, the neighbour in front of us. We have uh, uh, copper internet connection at the moment. Uh, I've had VDSL at that property before, and we we're alerted by the, the neighbour that um, the owner of this particular house and uh, the neighbour was renting uh, had I don't know trimming some trees or something had cut the cable between our house and that's helpful and the street. So when we when we moved in, uh, fortunately I had uh, a little um, Spark network uh, based mobile broadband uh, box, uh, the skinny one, your hundred gigs worth of data for uh, fifty two dollars. Yep. And so we we just used that, and we went through probably in the uh, two hundred to two hundred and fifty uh, gigs worth of data in the um, in about the first uh, four weeks. So. That you know that was okay, uh, but of course we were very keen to get our fixed internet connection. And interestingly, we got told by uh, by Vodafone that it would be fixed on um, Monday, which in Auckland was a public holiday. But um, the the model that uh, that Chorus have 
uh, they don't employ people directly, so they don't have to give them uh, oh, public holidays off. Public holidays off, and so on. So it had a, a very nice chap who, who came out on the public holiday and uh, and got it all sorted. Um, and you know, he said okay. there was a whole lot of work piled up, but uh, he stated and and just you know got it sorted. He, and he hadn't been told up front how bad the issue was, and it was quite a bit of work for him to uh, you know to run the run the new cable. Um, but one thing that I did learn, he said. Um, or his impression, and you know, he's certainly no official uh, spokesperson. Um, and he said, "Look, this is not a, an official line or anything." He said um, that his impression is with uh, with fibre um, that it changes, and if that line were to be cut in the future, Chorus wouldn't be paying for it. It's not in the in the mandate of the uh, uh, the fibre providers to actually pay. For an issue between the street and your house, it comes no, down really. to uh, comes down to you. So that's something I have to do a little bit of a uh, little bit of research into. But it's uh, you know it's worth noting. And of course, I'll be trying to work out how I can convince them to underground the fibre between my house and the street because this is the second time that that um, that that's uh, yeah been been damaged. And uh, yeah, it runs through all sorts of trees and and so on. So it's not really an ideal thing just to have. Uh, have 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 hanging. So, mm. what if you can pay a levy? Because I remember with copper, you could. It wasn't much. It was like two or three dollars, I think, a month, and you could opt in and out of it, and it pretty much covered any issues between pretty much you know like the street and in inverted commas and your place. And so, if there was a, I a think wiring the street issue, and your place was already covered. It was for internal was internal, internal wiring inside yeah. your house. And so, if you did have yeah. an issue, and they they would come out, and it was like your insurance payment, in essence. To that's right. So, yeah. I wonder if there's something similar for fiber or yeah. Well, yeah. So, I'll, I'll see what we can uh, we can find out if uh, if there is, and I know there will be somebody listening that actually knows the answer to this. Um, if there is somebody helpful listening who wants to answer from uh, uh, from the likes of of Chorus, one of the local fiber companies, or Crown Fiber. Um, Please let me know. I would uh, I would love to uh, love to understand how how that works. Um, yes. So overall, I think uh, good news. Good um, good to see that government and, and Crown Fibre and our uh, local fibre companies and and, and chorus uh, managing to hit. Uh, so many premises. Uh, just reading online, course hitting 168,000 uh, extra premises, covering 169 towns and areas. Um, Ultra fast fiber, 22,790. Um, their ones are um, Central North Island, um, and we've got. Um, North Power, 9,000 premises, and then Enable, uh, the Christchurch area hitting uh, 482. So, yeah, quite a good good bit of expansion there. But uh, have a look on online, uh, Crown Fibre uh, website, whole bunch of info. And as I say, there'll be a little bit up on our uh, little blog at ufp.org.nz as well uh, for those that are, that are interested in finding out if your town is one of the lucky ones. All right, uh, on to Spark. Now, they had a little bit of an uh, outage over the weekend. Were you impacted at all by this, um, Nate? You run, you run a cafe as well as your software development business, and you're, uh, I guess, uh, uh, somebody that's out and about using um, mobile no. data and so on it all the time. wasn't actually... Didn't impact you? No, I didn't. We haven't got Spark at the cafe. We don't have... We did have Spark... Fiber. We changed to a different provider about six months ago. So no, I didn't. I wasn't. I'm trying to think of my my parents, my wife's parents. No, we don't have any any spark thinking about it. So no, we we luckily got off scot free. Mm. It always it always amazes me when when providers like this have an outage, and uh, you get a competitor that uh, luckily it hasn't happened for a while. You get a competitor that will tweet something like, you know, our network we don't have issues, blah blah blah, because inevitably. You know, Murphy's Law. A month later, they will have a big outage, and it's like you just <laughs> yeah. like don't do it. Like, yeah. if one of your competitors is having a big outage, just sit there, not quietly, don't say anything because if you do, guarantee you'll you'll have the exact same issues very shortly after. Well, these these things can can uh, you know happen any time. To a degree, you would expect that they shouldn't, because now you know the technology is getting better and better, and they're able to you know plan their their networks in such a way and virtualize things that things should be really robust. Um, 
What Spark told me happened with this one was a... Um, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, the, uh, I think an exchange or location in uh, in South Auckland uh, where basically something failed there, and yeah. the immediate impact was, or the, the the that main issue lasted for about two hours. They got that resolved, but then there was a bigger flow on, and they weren't able to bring people back into the network as devices were trying to reauthenticate. It overloaded things and it, it goes sort of down sn- again and it yeah. sort of snowballed. So it sounded like issues went on for you know somewhere in sort of ten to ten to twelve hour type uh, direction. You know, quite a big impact. And then uh, the next day on on the Monday there were there were other people having having issues uh, or you know and and, and they weren't clear last time I chatted to them whether uh, whether that was related. Um, interestingly, they indicated 70 to 100 people were involved in actually um, investigating and resolving the issues. So it was obviously a lot of stress. something uh, pretty, WhatsApp messages back and forth. pretty important for them to wonder well, WhatsApp wouldn't be working for Oh, of course them. there's no data. <laughs> so uh, it, would, it actually would have been, you know, that would have been pretty uh, pretty challenging, right? These things are down. You're try, you're, they're trying to reach people. Uh, but of course, and there are a few other scenarios that cropped up. I mean, we were impacted at home because we had the uh, uh, the skinny mobile broadband for our internet, so uh, Sunday morning, uh, Selena was was asking, "Oh, is, is the internet down?" And um, yeah, it seemed it seemed to be. Uh, of course, people that are running businesses and trying to use mobile uh, FPOS terminals, and they would have been hit. Um, and things like Morpork, which. Uh, uh, as their security product, and and, and most of the time, it's like, oh, what a brilliant idea! It's got uh, embedded mobile connectivity. Uh, this would have been one of those few circumstances where actually that was uh, uh, possibly a, a negative. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, in, in general, I think it's fair to say that most of our networks in New Zealand have been very robust uh, overall, and uh, you know when you compare them to. Other parts of the the world, and even Australia, where Telstra had massive uh, mobile issues for quite some time, we were issuing, you know, different different uh, doing different promotions to try and uh, thank everyone for you know bearing with them while they tried to fix things up and Vodafone in Australia. So, uh, really, we haven't had major outage issues since sort of XT network, which goes back uh, about seven years ago. Quite a while. Mm. My suggestion always was if. If you're depending on something like a, say, a broadband connection for your FPOS, you need to weigh up how important is my FPOS and have I got a, a backup plan if my internet goes down, for example, with Spark, and then you know, you'd know you make sure that you had like a Vodafone SIM. So, for example, at the cafe up until recently, we had uh, Vodafone internet, and so um, I had a Spark hotspot, and the idea was that if our internet went down, we could swap over to the hotspot. We had another FBOS terminal, and we use it. We've probably used it a couple of times in our six years. But it's it's a balancing act that you know you need to have these. If it's important to you, you need to have um, a backup stra- a backup um, access strategy. And I, I, I've never bought the argument where people would go, "Well, we've lost all this business, blah blah blah." And it's like, well, you need to plan for the instance where you might not have internet. Yeah, you need absolutely. To have a, a plan. Who, who's running that side of your business that hasn't uh, put in place any, any continuity planning, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's important, yeah. Well, interestingly, uh, Vodafone have been touting on their TV ads about this amazing uh, option where if your home internet goes down, then they can pile a whole lot of data onto your, um, onto your, onto your smartphone so you can sort of you know, tether it oh, or whatever, yeah. share the data. And, uh, you know, I'd noticed that advertising. I thought this is, uh, you know, it's logical. It makes sense. I don't know why, you know, these things haven't been, you know, haven't been offered them for years. But I guess the networks are now robust enough to handle a lot of traffic. Uh, that's fantastic. And so on the phone, um, just checking, because I actually did most of my communications with Vodafone after uh, on Twitter after a, a frustrating call with, um, with somebody somewhere in the world. And I think I was just a bit stressed out about the whole thing and uh, and they were particularly uh, unhelpful <laughs> and so um, anyway so I did it over Twitter because they're usually really good and uh, most of it was good but I did I did call them up over the over the weekend just to you know double check when they thought uh, Chorus was going to be coming out and that things were all logged and uh, they made the comment oh have you got a Vodafone mobile because I can give you a hundred gigs worth of uh, free data on your mobile Score and I thought that is fantastic, um, and of course, of course, that's that, that's that's how you work. So, um, 
Uh, so I read out my phone number and you know, and my wife's number. So we both get a bit of you know, hundred gigs on each of our on each of our phones. And um, then they came back with a pretty big slap in the face. Do you know what it was? They they billed you for it. No, they said, "Oh, you're a business customer. Oh, your wife's a business customer." No, sorry. Oh, really? So they're spending all this money advertising on TV how their, their customers will, will be able to uh, use their, their mobiles and they'll give you the data in that circumstance. But if you're spending at the higher end of the spectrum, more than likely, and being a business customer, not just somebody on prepay um, or a personal account, um, then they politely decline once they realize that. That's a bit rough. So I thought that was, that was actually incredibly poor. I, I just I could I could not un, you know understand how you know especially after they're going out and promoting it promoting it uh, you know heavily around the country that they they couldn't work out a way to make that actually that work in, in in some form and I know you know our business is on a shared plan and this and that and so on so it's complicated um, but if nothing else they could have said look. You use it, and we'll you know we'll issue a credit note later or something. Um, but it was just a flat out no, you know, good you know good luck. So you know they could have said, look, if you go down to a Vodafone store, we'll give you a free SIM, and we'll load it with the hundred you know gigs worth of data to use or something. But they had no other options, you know, to to suggest. And you know it was me that says, oh, so if I go out and get myself you know buy a SIM card and get myself on a prepay, then you'd be able to do it. And they said yes. Um, which I was I it did, you I as well that with. tweeted a photo of being on hold to Vodafone for Vodafone? four hours. Yeah, how, I, I meant to ask you how did that work? So you, you just had you put your phone on speakerphone. So yeah, put my phone. What what happened was uh, visiting a family member in Christchurch, uh, still on copper, and I said, look, you should be on ultrafast broadband. And I'd helped him out with a couple of other things. He's you know. Was was busy with some other stuff, so I said, "Would well, you want me to make the call and I'll uh, I'll get this, you know, I'll I'll get this organised for you?" So, like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Yep, yep, you work it out and so on. And and of course, it's quite enticing to move from a copper connection to uh, an ultra fast broadband connection at the moment because most providers are offering huge credits, so in the direction of three hundred dollars worth of uh, worth of credits if you sign up on a twenty four month term. Mm. So uh, so he was with uh, he was with Spark. And um, so I, I called Vodafone and the, you know, 0800, 800, no, 0800, 800 yep. was, was the uh, was the number. Um, I get it mixed up with another one, but that was the number. And I got, got through to Vodafone and it was, you know, press this for, you know, if you're not calling for support of another thing. And it was, yeah, I want a new connection. And each menu I went through, the answers didn't really line up with what I expected from the you know the button I'd pressed before. Yeah, and when you go on their website, the 0800-800-021 number is listed as you know for consumer sales or support and so on. And uh, yeah, it's the one that's in my phone. And anyway, I eventually got. Oh, it didn't take too long to get through to somebody, but uh, they said, "Oh no, we're, I'm I'm business." And you know, went back through the menus and checked again. It was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, this was later. I went back and checked, but I, I said, "Oh well, can you transfer me through?" Uh, and they said, "Yeah, no problem. We'll uh, we'll put you through. I'll put you in the queue." And um, yeah, but obviously they put us in a dead ended queue because you know after yeah, four yeah. Hours, after four hours when I hung up. Um, but I did call them up about um, this internet connection that I wanted to to order the other day, and. I'd found most of the info that I wanted online, but I just wanted to understand how it worked if I sign up now for a term and then I want to flip over to UFB, which is due uh, in our street with the next you know month or two. And so I just want to chat through that with somebody. And I think, I don't know, 50 minutes maybe, maybe more uh, before I got to speak to somebody. So, you know, and... That's not. It's not just exclusive to Vodafone. I saw somebody sharing some, uh, some Spark stats and so on. And there, there are varying extremes that happen. And obviously, when there's an outage, that that adds to it. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's somewhat frustrating. I've got to say, when you, uh, I can't when, believe you, when you have to deal with four that. hours. That's a- well, it just became a bit of a joke after a while. It was like this is crazy. This can't be true. Let, let's just let's just see, and. Uh, 
yeah. Then after after I'd screenshotted my phone being, uh, um, uh, but you know, yeah. Anyway, that's that that's enough on that subject. Uh, you know, there is always going to be a challenge dealing with large companies. Some stuff they get really right, and there's a huge benefit of dealing with a larger entity. Uh, on the flip side, there are some things that at times they just get really wrong, and I've definitely had those sorts of challenges with both Spark and Vodafone uh, from a consumer side and from a business side where they've they've really dropped the ball. So um, and and smaller and the smaller players have their own challenges and issues too. So yeah, it's not easy to find the the best option. Uh, you know, it often comes down to you know in the business in the business scenarios if you've got a good account manager, uh, but of course with big organizations they tend to move about quite often as well. So you think you've nailed it and you've you've got uh, got that perfect account manager and uh, and then they leave or get promoted or whatever. Over, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, and I've seen that sort of thing thing happen with with other firms, the the Microsofts and 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 so on of this world. Um, now, other uh, other topics. Uh, Dropbox uh, Paper has launched. Now, Paper is you could call it uh, um, Dropbox's sort of plan to compete somewhat with Microsoft Office or Office three six five and and Google Docs by offering uh, within their cloud a um, um, an ability to go in and you know edit documents and share documents amongst a group and so on. So it's a step up from just synchronizing files as we've uh, as we've tended to do with Dropbox in the past. Um, yeah, I haven't had a, really had a chance to uh, dive in and have a look uh, too deeply at all. Um, so they've got uh, they've got one thing called. Um, so there are two parts of their their new offering: um, Smart Sync. Um, which isn't broadly available just yet, um, but but paper from Dropbox is available to uh, uh, to everyone. So um, so that's right now. So if you're uh, if you're a big Dropbox user, um, well, worth just checking out what that's about, maybe. So yeah, it's pretty cool how they've got. Um, I was reading earlier on they've got a is it a smart share. Oh, where is it? I just had it just before. Oh, sorry, smart meeting notes where um, it sends everyone in the meeting at the same document plus you can, you know, annotate it. And as long as it's part of the Google Calendar invite that um, you sent out, it's mm. very cool. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's becoming more and more an expectation that we can uh, we can collaborate on these things. And, uh, um, yeah, especially during meetings, it's uh, it's it's pretty handy. I'm I'm not sure whether they've taken too long to come to the table here. Obviously, the sooner they get they've got something out, um, the more helpful to them. Um, but you know, I think these days a lot of people, uh, certainly in in businesses of scale, will already be well well uh, well geared up with uh, with relevant solutions. And yeah, probably at the bigger end of 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 businesses, um, Dropbox paper might. Not generally be at the top, at the top of the list, but we'll see how they go in terms of their uh, their capabilities and um, um, yeah, and what sort of attention that they they attract. They've they've announced a you know a bunch of customers that they've uh, they've got already who have no doubt been uh, trialing it. Um, now hard drives are, are something that I guess out there in the in the great wide world of the cloud, uh, the the Amazons and Microsofts and 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 Googles and so on. Need some uh, some pretty big um, pretty big bits of storage. Most of us in our laptops and our PCs don't tend to have hard drives that are at the top end of uh, of of current storage capacities, which has uh, been ten terabytes. I think is the biggest hard drive we've been able to get uh, in recent times. But uh, we've just heard that Seagate has confirmed our plans for a twelve terabyte hard drive. Um, in the pretty near future, and I think that that was um, something that they com- they confirmed back in November. But now they've also confirmed we'll have 16 terabyte hard drives due uh, next year. 
2018. Those are in the older, st- the older platter style, so they're not solid state. No, and you can you can actually get some some big solid state drives too, but they tend to be you know incredibly expensive. incredibly expensive. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, that's pretty impressive capacity. The idea of having uh, sixteen terabytes in a um, uh, fixed uh, drive. The thing that always makes me anxious about these bigger and bigger drives is when I remember when they first came out with the external terabyte drives. Is my first thought was people are going to store more of their photos and documents on these drives and I bet they have got no backups and losing a terabyte of you know home movies and photos is a lot of stuff to lose as opposed to you know the old school um, much smaller drives so yeah please if there's anything when you do get these external drives please back it up not just to another drive but somewhere off site because I've heard of so many times when uh, if someone's house gets broken into that they'll steal not only the laptop, but the backup hard drive, so you end up losing everything. So you do need to have... It's great to have all the storage, but please have a backup. And it's not hard nowadays. There's so many... Crash Plan's my favourite. I'm a big Crash Plan uh, fanboy, but you can also use Dropbox. You can use... Uh, Azure. There's lots of different... Office, there are uh, lots of ways. And you know, some, some people have got so much so much storage that you know they will still they'll still use disks and and so on for it but uh you know generally i would i would um i'd be leaning in the direction of uh, of having cloud as part of your mix because it's automatically off-site for you uh, all the, you don't have all, to think all, about it all the time so uh yeah. yeah well you do need to check these things are actually actually working um so you need to set up some mechanism so to test so yeah. so you know and uh and it, you know they should be tested and so on as well but it's just uh, I, I, in the 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 era that we're living in now where there's so many different ways you can back up there really I think in my head there's no excuse for losing data there should you know and if you're unsure find either a friend if you're if you're just on your own or if you're a business you need to have a good provider such as Gorilla nicely said nice and plug nicely said um, to to look after that stuff where you just say them look you guys look after my backup strategy and I'll trust that you do it and you know you, you guys do what you do well Yep, and uh, you know, I guess that that's part of the reason Gorilla exists, so that you know, organisations can uh, they can lose, lose, you know, sleep over over uh, um, you know other challenges in the business, and uh, I'll lose sleep over those sorts of backups. things if they're not right. So, uh, and and backups is one of those sort of things you'd lose sleep over if it's not right because you don't want to you don't want to be at risk there. Um, now, what else have we got? Um, Oh, New Zealand uh, now has an uh, online-only lender for um, small to medium uh, businesses who are wanting to take out a loan. Uh, they've got an online-only uh, lending mechanism. It's um, a company called uh, SpotCap who have been, been been around for a while. I think they've been operating in uh, in uh, they're based in Berlin, but they've been operating in Australia for about two years. And uh, they have launched locally in conjunction with support from uh, Heartland Bank. And they're offering uh, unsecured loans of between 10,000 and a quarter of a million. So, yeah, the world continues trucking on in that direction where we don't have to go into bricks and mortar locations and we can we can do just about everything online uh which is is rather good actually um because i've just been through a process with a with a business i'm involved in we need to set up um some accounts with kiwi bank and there's all this oh yeah you need to go in and bring all the all the associated parties in to uh, to sign up and and open an account it uh, just just seems quite uh, quite backwards. Interesting. I consolidated a, a couple of things before I, I left on holiday in December, and uh, it d- done something similar earlier in 2016. So in December, ASB now, uh, and I'm not sure if it's everything, but for personal loans, which was really cool, is that they have a complete online signing facility. So you log into your internet banking, you can then sign the documentation, and then as soon as it's processed like within five minutes the money's released into your account it was really cool because when I did the loan in February um, 
I had to actually go into one of the branches, sit down, sign all the paperwork, they give you a copy, you walk out, and then a couple of days later the funds are released. So mm. I thought that was really cool with ASP, and it was completely... Um, uh, and it, it was a complete surprise. The, the bank manager just emailed me and said, hey, look, log into your internet banking, click here, 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 and then as soon as you do it, the money appeared, and it did. And it was really cool. That's nice. That's nice. Like, yeah. We're doing so much more stuff online. We should, um, you know, that sort of sh- stuff should be um, common nature. And uh, on a bit of a side note, when I got married uh, about this time last year, we got a bit of pushback from people because we did all our wedding invites up through MailChimp just send them by email and my argument was we do everything else online we should just do it and they're like no I missed the paper invite I was like look it's so much cheaper just to do it online so we did and it was probably one of the best things we did well it's actually a whole lot easier to track what's going on and so on yeah um, uh, I think there's wisdom in doing that yeah and there's actually services there's one um, called Paperless Post because I got an invite through it and you can RSVP um, through it, you can tell them if a partner's coming or not, um, any dietary, any, um, you know, you're in a wheelchair, so you need the facilities to be able to do that sort of stuff. Like, it just, it's, in some of those ways, I think we're a little bit backwards. It's quite funny how, like, for weddings, we still get the old paper invites. When Well, from an organisational perspective, yes, you, I mean, weddings are enough of a drama w- yeah, without having to handle bits of paper and try and then go in online and do or into a spreadsheet or something to keep a record of who's coming and who's not and what's going and on. what dietary and this person's vegan yeah. or vegetarian. It just, yeah, do it online. So I'm a big fan of this. Good move, good move. Yep. Um, no, it worked, it, uh, it worked well. Now, what else? Um, oh, just, I thought it was interesting to hear in the, in the last few days, uh, um, PayPal co-founder uh, Peter Thiel, uh, or Thiel, um, has been um, it's, he's been outed as a New Zealand citizen uh, since 2011. How did that slip through? That is well, amazing. Get- How did no one? There wasn't a whisper or a rumor. Yeah, massive shock. Yeah. Well, I guess sometimes when you when you're that rich, um, and you know there are, I mean. There's lots of people that we don't hear about because they're not notable, well-known people. But I guess uh, somebody as well as well-known um, as Peter, you would, uh, you would, yeah, you would expect it to have, have known. But I guess uh, that, you know these things aren't necessarily publicised. So there you go. For those of us who don't know who Peter Thiel is, uh, investor in Zero, yep. uh, early investor in Facebook. Yep. Um, I mean, he's a bit of a, a superstar of the the. Um, tech world. Of the tech world and uh, San Francisco. What was Silicon his last Valley. controversy? Here's a question for you. Uh, well, he's a big supporter of uh, of Trump, uh, Donald Trump. Okay, the one before that then. <laughs> um, uh, helping to shut down a um, uh, a media outlet in the US was That's it right. uh, Gawker? Yeah, they took it. Uh, media. He uh, he took a the lawsuit uh, against the. Uh, I think the the company uh, or the founder there was a bit of a beef there, yeah. and um, yeah, but it actually wasn't. He wasn't, he was the he was bankrolling Hulk Hogan, who was right. suing yeah. Gorka, but he had he had his own beef. So uh, and yes, hence he did. Why he was bankrolling Hulk Hulk Hogan, but it didn't come out till sort of the last. Now, We're sounding quite, like tabloid press with, yeah, with, with this discussion. It though. was it was very controversial <laughs> because um, the Gorka didn't know that he was funding. Um, Hulk Hogan thing and yeah I, I think he's he sort of sat in the shadows and this was a big controversy because he sort of came out and, and was sort of battling for it and what he thought in his eyes was the little guy so I, I, I followed that I was very interested to read uh, what was going on and obviously the Trump support also makes him a little bit controversial at the moment mm, but yeah mm. massive in that text space. and and on the Trump front uh, I guess there's been a bit of um, well there's been all sorts of drama down down that track but uh, from, a, from a technology a cyber security point of view uh, there were a few people Bits and pieces that have uh, been floating around over the last few days. Uh, a suggestion that Trump has been doing personal tweets uh, from the White House on an outdated and, and therefore unable to be patched and secured up to date uh, Samsung Galaxy S3, which is sort of you know, 2012 era. Um, so that's not sounding ideal. Uh, and then somebody apparently discovering that the official um, POTUS Twitter account, President of the United States is what that stands for, uh, Twitter account, uh, was linked back to somebody's uh, Gmail account, which, do which also doesn't, doesn't, yeah. doesn't make sense. So maybe someone went in to do a password reset and it comes out and, and fills out the uh, um, 
Oh, what the roughly what the email account is? Yeah, so it? I'm imagining that Twitter have have um, possibly uh, have possibly dropped that. But uh, hold on, we will. I will do a check and say I am the president of the United States and I've forgotten my password. And let's see what it says. Okay, so that now has been updated because it says email a link to. And it's actually listing two separate email accounts. So Twitter have done something fancy here. Um, one is uh, anyway. We don't need to go into it, but there's two different email addresses, and I both of them look be, both of them look like they're White House email addresses. It's going to so be like a black van that's going to follow you home. It, now it sounds like that's been uh, that's been that's been sorted uh, sorted out. So, um, but Twitter Twitter do have a facility because so we've talked about it a few times. So my username on Twitter is just at Nate, which is quite desirable for from different people. Or sorry, two different people. No, people. not at all. Not and at all. Um, who would want just their first, I was first get, name as their Twitter account? Exactly. I was getting um, lots of password resets, and then Twitter added. I'm not sure if they added or I discovered it, but let's say they added uh, the ability that you'd have to provide a date of birth, right, f- to start the ball rolling. And then as soon as I switched that on. All the reset stopped, which was fantastic. So, right, it was yeah, it was really good because I was getting probably one a day for people, and I, I don't know what they were trying to achieve by trying to reset my password. Mm. Well, just, I'm not going to try and reset the president's uh, password here. Um, can you so let me leave first, and then let me get far <laughs> enough away? So, finger, I quite finger, like you worried to, about there being finger a finger on the button there. Uh, point, I quite points, like traveling to the US, us. and I don't yeah. want any awkward questions about Paul Spain trying to reset the, the president's no, Twitter no, account. No, neither do I. Um, and uh, but but but. But who knows? At the moment, I'm within a hopefully a safe category for going to the US. But I mean, that's <laughs> we could get into all sorts of politics here, so I won't go down that track. Um, and uh, the other one was apparently uh, the White House press secretary uh, Sean Spicer. Um, he did an ac- apparently an accidental tweet that was deleted soon after, but it looked just like a password. It was sort of random enough letters in nature and so on uh, that has been presumed that he accidentally tweeted his password. So. Fascinating stuff. Um, that's pretty much us for this episode, although I should mention uh, I was uh, looking at iTunes over the weekend and I thought I'd better go and check the food category on the iTunes charts to see how our new uh, New Zealand wine podcast was doing. And not only was it in the top 10 um, for New Zealand, uh, also Food Family and Friends podcast. So if you're listening and you enjoy wine, um, absolutely brilliant listening, uh, New Zealand Wine Podcast. And if you're interested in food and the social aspects around that, then uh, Food, Family and Friends Podcast uh, also. The two, two great locally uh, produced podcasts that are well, uh, well worth a listen. So thoroughly recommended. All right. Well, that, that's us for this episode. Nate, you've already told people where to track you down on Twitter. How else can they track you down? Actually, at Nate's probably the best. I um, blog occasionally on GeekZone. I also do a little bit of stuff about uh, the cafe as well. So um, cafeowner.co.nz Excellent. Uh, is the blog I talk about food and all things hospitality. That's good. That's good. Um, and you can track me down across the social networks at Paul Spain on, on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Paul Spain and uh, Paul Spain on LinkedIn. Now, um, I am um, going to have quite a bit of activity going on through my email newsletters this year with a bit of content that you won't be able to get anywhere else. So if you're interested in, in getting those updates and uh, in between updates, in between the podcasts, uh, videos and so on, uh, then you can sign up for that those newsletter updates, paulspain.com. All right. That's us for this week. Thank you, everybody, for joining us again, and we'll be back uh, same time next week. Okay, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.